Chapter Fourteen of Cranford by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Friends in Need. It was an example to me, and I fancy it might be to many others, to see how immediately Miss Matty set about the retrenchment which she knew to be right under her altered circumstances. While she went down to speak to Martha and break the intelligence to her, I stole out with my letter to the Aga Jenkins and went to the Signor's lodgings to obtain the exact address. I bound the Signora to secrecy, and indeed her military manners had a degree of shortness and reserve in them which made her always say as little as possible, except when under the pressure of strong excitement moreover which made my secret doubly sure the signor was so far recovered as to be looking forward to travelling and conjuring again in the space of a few days when he his wife and little phoebe would leave cranford indeed i found him looking over a great black and red placard in which the signor brunoni's accomplishments were set forth and to which only the name of the town where he would next display them was wanting he and his wife were so much absorbed in deciding where the red letters would come in with most effect it might have been the rubric for that matter that it was some time before i could get my question asked privately and not before i had given several decisions the wisdom of which i questioned afterwards with equal sincerity as soon as the signor threw in his doubts and reasons on the important subject at last i got the address spelt by sound and very queer it looked i dropped it in the post on my way home and then for a minute i stood looking at the wooden pane with a gaping slit which divided me from the letter but a moment ago in my hand it was gone from me like life never to be recalled it would get tossed about on the sea and stained with sea waves perhaps and be carried among palm trees and scented with all tropical fragrance the little piece of paper but an hour ago so familiar and commonplace had set out on its race to the strange wild countries beyond the ganges but i could not afford to lose much time on this speculation i hastened home that miss matty might not miss me martha opened the door to me her face swollen with crying as soon as she saw me she burst out afresh and taking hold of my arm she pulled me in and banged the door to in order to ask me if indeed it was all true that miss matty had been saying i'll never leave her no i won't i told her so and said i could not think how she could find in her heart to give me warning i could not have had the face to do it if i'd been her i might have been just as good for nothing as mrs fitzadams rosy who struck for wages after living seven years and a half in one place i said i was not one to go and serve mammon at that rate that i knew when i'd got a good mistress if she didn't know when she'd got a good servant but martha said i cutting in while she wiped her eyes don't but martha me she replied to my deprecatory tone listen to reason i'll not listen to reason she said now in full possession of her voice which had been rather choked with sobbing 
reason always means what someone else has got to say now i think what i've got to say is good enough reason but reason or not i'll say it and i'll stick to it i've money in the savings bank and i've a good stock of clothes and i'm not going to leave miss matty no not if she gives me warning every hour in the day she put her arms akimbo as much as to say she defied me and indeed i could hardly tell how to begin to remonstrate with her so much did i feel that miss matty in her increasing infirmity needed the attendance of this kind and faithful woman well said i at last i'm thankful you begin with well if you'd have begun with but as you did afore i'd not have listened to you now you may go on i know you would be a great loss to miss matty martha i telled her so a loss she'd never cease to be sorry for broke in martha triumphantly still she will have so little so very little to live upon that i don't see just now how she could find your food she will even be pressed for her own i tell you this martha because i feel you are like a friend to dear miss matty but you know she might not like to have it spoken about apparently this was even a blacker view of the subject than miss matty had presented to her for martha just sat down on the first chair that came to hand and cried out loud we had been standing in the kitchen at last she put her apron down and looking me earnestly in the face asked was that the reason miss matty wouldn't order a pudding today she said she had no great fancy for sweet things and you and she would just have a mutton chop but i'll be up to her never you tell but i'll make her a pudding and a pudding she'll like too and i'll pay for it myself so mind you see she eats it many a one has been a comforted in their sorrow by seeing a good dish come upon the table i was rather glad that martha's energy had taken the immediate and practical direction of pudding-making for it staved off the quarrelsome discussion as to whether she should or should not leave miss matty's service she began to tie on a clean apron and otherwise prepare herself for going to the shop for the butter eggs and what else she might require she would not use a scrap of the articles already in the house for her cookery but went to an old teapot in which her private store of money was deposited and took out what she wanted i found miss matty very quiet and not a little sad but by and by she tried to smile for my sake it was settled that i was to write to my father and ask him to come over and hold a consultation and as soon as this letter was dispatched we began to talk over future plans miss matty's idea was to take a single room and retain as much of her furniture as would be necessary to fit up this and sell the rest and there to quietly exist upon what would remain after paying the rent for my part i was more ambitious and less contented i thought of all the things by which a woman past middle age and with the education common to ladies fifty years ago could earn or add to a living without materially losing caste 
but at length i put even this last clause on one side and wondered what in the world miss matty could do teaching was of course the first thing that suggested itself if miss matty could teach children anything it would throw her among the little elves in whom her soul delighted i ran over her accomplishments once upon a time i heard her say she could play a vous dirige mama on the piano but that was long long ago that faint shadow of musical acquirement had died out years before she had also once been able to trace out patterns very nicely for muslin embroidery by dint of placing a piece of silver paper over the design to be copied and holding both against the window-pane while she marked the scallop and eyelet holes but that was her nearest approach to the accomplishment of drawing and i did not think it would go very far then again as to the branches of a solid english education fancy work and the use of the globes such as the mistresses of the ladies seminary to which all the tradespeople in cranford sent their daughters professed to teach miss matty's eyes were failing her and i doubted if she could discover the number of threads in a worsted work pattern or rightly appreciate the different shades required for queen adelaide's face in the loyal wool-work now fashionable in cranford as for the use of the globes i had never been able to find it out myself so perhaps i was not a good judge of miss matty's capability of instructing in this branch of education but it struck me that equators and tropics and such mystical circles were very imaginary lines indeed to her and that she looked upon the signs of the zodiac as so many remnants of the black art what she piqued herself upon as arts in which she excelled was making candle-lighters or spills as she preferred calling them of coloured paper cut so as to resemble feathers and knitting garters in a variety of dainty stitches i had once said on receiving a present of an elaborate pair that i should feel quite tempted to drop one of them in the street in order to have it admired but i found this little joke and it was a very little one was such a distress to her sense of propriety and was taken with such anxious earnest alarm lest the temptation might some day prove too strong for me that i quite regretted having ventured upon it a present of these delicately wrought garters a bunch of gay spills or a set of cards on which sewing silk was wound in a mystical manner were the well-known tokens of miss matty's favour but would any one pay to have their children taught these arts or indeed would miss matty sell for filthy lucre the knack and the skill with which she made trifles of value to those who loved her i had come down to reading writing and arithmetic and in reading the chapter every morning she always coughed before coming to long words i doubted her power of getting through a genealogical chapter with any number of coughs writing she did well and delicately but spelling she seemed to think that the more out of the way this was and the more trouble it cost her the greater the compliment she paid to her correspondent and words she would spell quite correctly in her letters to me became perfect enigmas when she wrote to my father No 
there was nothing she could teach to the rising generation of cranford unless they had been quick learners and ready imitators of her patience her humility her sweetness her quiet contentment with all that she could not do i pondered and pondered until dinner was announced by martha with a face all blubbered and swollen with crying miss matty had a few little peculiarities which martha was apt to regard as whims below her attention and appeared to consider as childish fancies of which an old lady of fifty-eight should try and cure herself but to-day everything was attended to with the most careful regard the bread was cut to the imaginary pattern of excellence that existed in miss matty's mind as being the way which her mother had preferred the curtain was drawn so as to exclude the dead brick wall of a neighbour's stables and yet left so as to show every tender leaf of the poplar which was bursting into spring beauty martha's tone to miss matty was just such as that good rough-spoken servant usually kept sacred for little children and which i had never heard her use to any grown-up person i had forgotten to tell miss matty about the pudding and i was afraid she might not do justice to it for she had evidently very little appetite this day so i seized the opportunity of letting her into the secret while martha took away the meat miss matty's eyes filled with tears and she could not speak either to express surprise or delight when martha returned bearing it aloft made in the most wonderful representation of a lion couchant that ever was moulded martha's face gleamed with triumph as she set it down before miss matty with an exultant there miss matty wanted to speak her thanks but could not so she took martha's hand and shook it warmly which set martha off crying and i myself could hardly keep up the necessary composure martha burst out of the room and miss matty had to clear her voice once or twice before she could speak at last she said i should like to keep this pudding under a glass shade my dear and the notion of the lion couchant with its current eyes being hoisted up to the place of honour on the mantelpiece tickled my hysterical fancy and i began to laugh which rather surprised miss matty i am sure dear i have seen uglier things under a glass shade before now said she so had i many a time and oft and i accordingly composed my countenance and now i could hardly keep from crying and we both fell to upon the pudding which was indeed excellent only every morsel seemed to choke us our hearts were so full we had too much to think about to talk much that afternoon it passed over very tranquilly but when the tea-urn was brought in a new thought came into my head why should not miss matty sell tea be an agent to the east india tea company which then existed i could see no objections to this plan while the advantages were many always supposing that miss matty could get over the degradation of condescending to anything like trade tea was neither greasy nor sticky grease and stickiness being two of the qualities which miss matty could not endure no shop window would be required 
a small genteel notification of her being licensed to sell tea would it is true be necessary but i hoped that it could be placed where no one would see it neither was tea a heavy article so as to tax miss matty's fragile strength the only thing against my plan was the buying and selling involved while i was giving but absent answers to the questions miss matty was putting almost as absently we heard a clumping sound on the stairs and a whispering outside the door which indeed once opened and shut as if by some invisible agency after a little while martha came in dragging after her a great tall young man all crimson with shyness and finding his only relief in perpetually sleeking down his hair please ma'am his only jem hearn said martha by way of an introduction and so out of breath was she that i imagine she had had some bodily struggle before she could overcome his reluctance to be presented on the courtly scene of miss matilda jenkins's drawing-room and please ma'am he wants to marry me off-hand and please ma'am we want to take a lodger just one quiet lodger to make our two ends meet and we'd take any house conformable and oh dear miss matty if i may be so bold would you have any objection to lodging with us jem wants it as much as i do to jem you great oaf why can't you back me but he does want it all the same very bad don't you jem only you see he's dazed at being called on to speak before quality it's not that broke in jem it's that you've taken me all on a sudden and i didn't think for to get married so soon and such quick work does flabbergast a man it's not that i'm against it ma'am addressing miss matty only martha has such quick ways with her when once she takes a thing into her head and marriage ma'am marriage nails a man as one may say i dare say i shan't mind it after it's once over please ma'am said martha who had plucked at his sleeve and nudged him with her elbow and otherwise tried to interrupt him all the time he had been speaking don't mind him he'll come too twas only last night he was annexing me annexing me and all the more because i said i could not think of it for years to come and now he's only taken aback with the suddenness of the joy but you know jem you are just as full as me about wanting a lodger another great nudge ay if miss matty would lodge with us otherwise i've no mind to be cumbered with strange folk in the house said jem with a want of tact which i could see enraged martha who was trying to represent a lodger as the great object which they wished to obtain and that in fact miss matty would be smoothing their path and conferring a favour if she would only come and live with them miss matty herself was bewildered by the pair their or rather martha's sudden resolution in favour of matrimony staggered her and stood between her and the contemplation of the plan which martha had at heart miss matty began marriage is a very solemn thing martha it is indeed ma'am quoth jem not that i've no objections to martha 
you've never let me a be for asking me for to fix when i would be married said martha her face all afire and ready to cry with vexation and now you're shaming me before my missus and all nay now martha don't ye don't ye only a man likes to have breathing time said jem trying to possess himself of her hand but in vain then seeing that she was more seriously hurt than he had imagined he seemed to try to rally his scattered faculties and with more straightforward dignity than ten minutes before i should have thought it possible for him to assume he turned to miss matty and said i hope ma'am you know that i am bound to respect every one who has been kind to martha i always looked on her as to be my wife sometime and she has often and often spoken of you as the kindest lady that ever was and though the plain truth is i would not like to be troubled with lodgers of the common run yet if ma'am you'd honour us by living with us i'm sure martha would do her best to make you comfortable and i'd keep out of your way as much as i could which i reckon would be the best kindness such an awkward chap as me could do miss matty had been very busy with taking off her spectacles wiping them and replacing them but all she could say was don't let any thought of me hurry you into marriage pray don't marriage is such a very solemn thing but miss matilda will think of your plan martha said i struck with the advantages that it offered and unwilling to lose the opportunity of considering about it and i'm sure neither she nor i can ever forget your kindness nor yours either jem why yes ma'am i'm sure i mean kindly though i'm a bit fluttered by being pushed straight ahead into matrimony as it were and mayn't express myself conformable but i'm sure i'm willing enough and give me time to get accustomed so martha wench what's the use of crying so and slapping me if i come near this last was sotto voce and had the effect of making martha bounce out of the room to be followed and soothed by her lover whereupon miss matty sat down and cried very heartily and accounted for it by saying that the thought of martha being married so soon gave her quite a shock and that she should never forgive herself if she thought she was hurrying the poor creature i think my pity was more for jem of the two but both miss matty and i appreciated to the full the kindness of the honest couple although we said little about this and a good deal about the chances and dangers of matrimony the next morning very early i received a note from miss pole so mysteriously wrapped up and with so many seals on it to secure secrecy that i had to tear the paper before i could unfold it and when i came to the writing i could hardly understand the meaning it was so involved and oracular i made out however that i was to go to miss pole at eleven o'clock the number eleven being written in full length as well as in numerals and a m twice dashed under as if i were very likely to come at eleven at night when all cranford was usually abed and asleep by ten there was no signature except miss pole's initials reversed 
P.E. But as Martha had given me the note, with Miss Pole's kind regards, it needed no wizard to find out who sent it, and if the writer's name was to be kept secret, it was very well that I was alone when Martha delivered it. I went, as requested, to Miss Pole's. The door was opened to me by her little maid Lizzie, in Sunday trim, as if some grand event was impending over this work-day, and the drawing-room upstairs was arranged in accordance with this idea. The table was set out with the best green card-cloth and writing materials upon it. On the little chiffonier was a tray with a newly decanted bottle of cowslip wine and some ladies' finger biscuits. Miss Pole herself was in solemn array, as if to receive visitors, although it was only eleven o'clock. Mrs. Forrester was there, crying quietly and sadly, and my arrival seemed only to call forth fresh tears. Before we had finished our greetings, performed with lugubrious mystery of demeanour, there was another rat-tat-tat, and Mrs. Fitzadam appeared, crimson with walking and excitement. It seemed as if this was all the company expected, for now Miss Pole made several demonstrations of being about to open the business of the meeting by stirring the fire, opening and shutting the door, and coughing and blowing her nose. Then she arranged us all round the table, taking care to place me opposite to her, and last of all she inquired of me if the sad report was true, as she feared it was, that Miss Matty had lost all her fortune. Of course I had but one answer to make, and I never saw more unaffected sorrow depicted on any countenances than I did there on the three before me. I wish Mrs. Jameson was here, said Mrs. Forrester at last, but to judge from Mrs. Fitzadam's face she could not second the wish. But without Mrs. Jameson, said Miss Pole, with just a sound of offended merit in her voice, we, the ladies of Cranford, in my drawing-room assembled, can resolve upon something. I imagine we are none of us what may be called rich, though we all possess a genteel competency, sufficient for tastes that are elegant and refined, and would not, if they could, be vulgarly ostentatious. Here I observed Miss Pole refer to a small card concealed in her hand, on which I imagined she had put down a few notes. Miss Smith, she continued, addressing me, familiarly known as Mary to all the company assembled, but this was a state occasion. I have conversed in private, I made it my business to do so yesterday afternoon, with these ladies on the misfortune which has happened to our friend, and one and all of us have agreed that while we have a superfluity, it is not only a duty, but a pleasure, a true pleasure, Mary. Her voice was rather choked just here, and she had to wipe her spectacles before she could go on, to give what we can to assist her, Miss Matilda Jenkins. Only in consideration of the feelings of delicate independence existing in the mind of every refined female, I was sure she had got back to the card now, we wish to contribute our mites in a secret and concealed manner, so as not to hurt the feelings I have referred to. 
and our object in requesting you to meet us this morning is that believing you are the daughter that your father is in fact her confidential adviser in all pecuniary matters we imagined that by consulting with him you might devise some mode in which our contribution could be made to appear the legal due which miss matilda jenkins ought to receive from probably your father knowing her investments can fill up the blank miss pole concluded her address and looked round for approval and agreement i have expressed your meanings ladies have i not and while miss smith considers what reply to make allow me to offer you some little refreshment i had no great reply to make i had more thankfulness at my heart for their kind thoughts than i cared to put into words and so i only mumbled out something to the effect that i would name what miss pole had said to my father and that if anything could be arranged for dear miss matty and here i broke down utterly and had to be refreshed with a glass of cowslip wine before i could check the crying which had been repressed for the last two or three days the worst was all the ladies cried in concert even miss pole cried who had said a hundred times that to betray emotion before any one was a sign of weakness and want of self-control she recovered herself into a slight degree of impatient anger directed against me as having set them all off and moreover i think she was vexed that i could not make a speech back in return for hers and if i had known beforehand what was to be said and had a card on which to express the probable feelings that would rise in my heart i would have tried to gratify her as it was mrs forrester was the person to speak when we had recovered our composure i don't mind among friends stating that i no i am not poor exactly but i don't think i'm what you may call rich i wish i were for dear miss matty's sake but if you please i'll write down in a sealed paper what i can give i only wish it was more my dear mary i do indeed now i saw why paper pens and ink were provided every lady wrote down the sum she could give annually signed the paper and sealed it mysteriously if their proposal was acceded to my father was to be allowed to open the papers under pledge of secrecy if not they were to be returned to their writers when the ceremony had been gone through i rose to depart but each lady seemed to wish to have a private conference with me miss pole kept me in the drawing-room to explain why in mrs jameson's absence she had taken the lead in this movement as she was pleased to call it and also to inform me that she had heard from good sources that mrs jameson was coming home directly in a state of high displeasure against her sister-in-law who was forthwith to leave her house and was she believed to return to edinburgh that very afternoon of course 
this piece of intelligence could not be communicated before mrs fitzadam more especially as miss pole was inclined to think that lady glenmire's engagement to mr hoggins could not possibly hold against the blaze of mrs jameson's displeasure a few hearty inquiries after miss matty's health concluded my interview with miss pole on coming downstairs i found mrs forrester awaiting me at the entrance of the dining parlour she drew me in and when the door was shut she tried two or three times to begin on some subject which was so unapproachable apparently that i began to despair of our ever getting to a clear understanding at last out it came the poor old lady trembling all the time as if it were a great crime which she was exposing to daylight in telling me how very very little she had to live upon a confession which she was brought to make from a dread lest we should think that the small contribution named in her paper bore any proportion to her love and regard for miss matty and yet that sum which she so eagerly relinquished was in truth more than a twentieth part of what she had to live upon and keep house and a little serving-maid all as became one born a tyrrell and when the whole income does not nearly amount to a hundred pounds to give up a twentieth of it will necessitate many careful economies and many pieces of self-denial small and insignificant in the world's accounts but bearing a different value in another account-book that i have heard of she did so wish she was rich she said and this wish she kept repeating with no thought of herself in it only with a longing yearning desire to be able to heap up miss matty's measure of comforts it was some time before i could console her enough to leave her and then on quitting the house i was waylaid by mrs fitzadam who had also her confidence to make of pretty nearly the opposite description she had not liked to put down all that she could afford and was ready to give she told me she thought she could never look miss matty in the face again if she presumed to be giving her so much as she should like to do miss matty continued she that i thought was such a fine young lady when i was nothing but a country girl coming to market with eggs and butter and such like things for my father though well to do would always make me go on as my mother had done before me and i had to come into cranford every saturday and see after sales and prices and what not and one day i remember i met miss matty in the lane that leads to cumberhurst she was walking on the footpath which you know is raised a good way above the road and a gentleman rode beside her and was talking to her and she was looking down at some primroses she had gathered and pulling them all to pieces and i do believe she was crying but after she had passed she turned round and ran after me to ask oh so kindly about my poor mother who lay on her deathbed and when i cried she took hold of my hand to comfort me and the gentleman waiting for her all the time and her poor heart very full of something i am sure and i thought it such an honour to be spoken to in that pretty way by the rector's daughter who visited at arley hall i have loved her ever since though perhaps i'd no right to do it 
but if you can think of any way in which i might be allowed to give a little more without any one knowing it i should be so much obliged to you my dear and my brother would be delighted to doctor her for nothing medicines leeches and all i know that he and her ladyship my dear i little thought in the days i was telling you of that i should ever come to be sister-in-law to a ladyship would do anything for her we all would i told her i was quite sure of it and promised all sorts of things in my anxiety to get home to miss matty who might well be wondering what had become of me absent from her two hours without being able to account for it she had taken very little note of time however as she had been occupied in numberless little arrangements preparatory to the great step of giving up her house it was evidently a relief to her to be doing something in the way of retrenchment for as she said whenever she paused to think the recollection of the poor fellow with his bad five-pound note came over her and she felt quite dishonest only if it made her so uncomfortable what must it not be doing to the directors of the bank who must know so much more of the misery consequent upon this failure she almost made me angry by dividing her sympathy between these directors whom she imagined overwhelmed by self-reproach for the mismanagement of other people's affairs and those who were suffering like her indeed of the two she seemed to think poverty a lighter burden than self-reproach but i privately doubted if the directors would agree with her old hoards were taken out and examined as to their money value which luckily was small or else i don't know how miss matty would have prevailed upon herself to part with such things as her mother's wedding ring the strange uncouth brooch with which her father had disfigured his shirt frill etc however we arranged things a little in order as to their pecuniary estimation and were all ready for my father when he came the next morning i am not going to weary you with the details of all the business we went through and one reason for not telling about them is that i did not understand what we were doing at the time and cannot recollect it now miss matty and i sat assenting to accounts and schemes and reports and documents of which i do not believe we either of us understood a word for my father was clear-headed and decisive and a capital man of business and if we made the slightest inquiry or expressed the slightest want of comprehension he had a sharp way of saying eh eh it's as clear as daylight what's your objection and as we had not comprehended anything of what he had proposed we found it rather difficult to shape our objections in fact we never were sure if we had any so presently miss matty got into a nervous acquiescent state and said yes and certainly at every pause whether required or not but when i once joined in as chorus to a decidedly pronounced by miss matty in a tremblingly dubious tone my father fired round at me and asked me what there was to decide and i am sure to this day i have never known but in justice to him i must say he had come over from drumble to help miss matty when he could ill spare the time and when his own affairs were in a very anxious state 
while Miss Matty was out of the room giving orders for luncheon, and sadly perplexed between her desire of honouring my father by a delicate, dainty meal, and her conviction that she had no right now that all her money was gone to indulge this desire, I told him of the meeting of the Cranford ladies at Miss Pole's the day before. He kept brushing his hand before his eyes as I spoke and when I went back to Martha's offer the evening before of receiving Miss Matty as a lodger, he fairly walked away from me to the window, and began drumming with his fingers upon it. Then he turned abruptly round, and said, See, Mary, how a good innocent life makes friends all around. Confound it! I could make a good lesson out of it if I were a parson but as it is i can't get a tail to my sentences only i'm sure you feel what i want to say you and i will have a walk after lunch and talk a bit more about these plans the lunch a hot savoury mutton chop and a little of the cold loin sliced and fried was now brought in every morsel of this last dish was finished to martha's great gratification then my father bluntly told Miss Matty he wanted to talk to me alone, and that he would stroll out and see some of the old places, and then I could tell her what plan we thought desirable. Just before we went out, she called me back and said, Remember, dear, I'm the only one left. I mean, there's no one to be hurt by what I do. I'm willing to do anything that's right and honest and i don't think if deborah knows where she is she'll care so very much if i'm not genteel because you see she'll know all dear only let me see what i can do and pay the poor people as far as i'm able i gave her a hearty kiss and ran after my father the result of our conversation was this if all parties were agreeable martha and jem were to be married with as little delay as possible and they were to live on in miss matty's present abode the sum which the cranford ladies had agreed to contribute annually being sufficient to meet the greater part of the rent and leaving martha free to appropriate what miss matty should pay for her lodgings to any little extra comforts required about the sale my father was dubious at first he said the old rectory furniture however carefully used and reverently treated would fetch very little and that little would be but as a drop in the sea of the debts of the town and county bank but when i represented how miss matty's tender conscience would be soothed by feeling that she had done what she could he gave way especially after i had told him the five-pound note adventure and he had scolded me well for allowing it i then alluded to my idea that she might add to her small income by selling tea and to my surprise for i had nearly given up the plan my father grasped at it with all the energy of a tradesman i think he reckoned his chickens before they were hatched for he immediately ran up the profits of the sales that she could effect in cranford to more than twenty pounds a year the small dining parlour was to be converted into a shop without any of its degrading characteristics a table was to be the counter 
one window was to be retained unaltered and the other changed into a glass door i evidently rose in his estimation for having made this bright suggestion i only hoped we should not both fall in miss matty's but she was patient and content with all our arrangements she knew she said that we should do the best we could for her and she only hoped only stipulated that she should pay every farthing that she could be said to owe for her father's sake who had been so respected in cranford my father and i had agreed to say as little as possible about the bank indeed never to mention it again if it could be helped some of the plans were evidently a little perplexing to her but she had seen me sufficiently snubbed in the morning for want of comprehension to venture on too many inquiries now and all passed over well with the hope on her part that no one would be hurried into marriage on her account when we came to the proposal that she should sell tea i could see it was rather a shock to her not on account of any personal loss of gentility involved but only because she distrusted her own powers of action in a new line of life and would timidly have preferred a little more privation to any exertion for which she feared she was unfitted however when she saw my father was bent upon it she sighed and said she would try and if she did not do well of course she might give it up one good thing about it was she did not think men ever bought tea and it was of men particularly she was afraid they had such sharp loud ways with them and did up accounts and counted their change so quickly now if she might only sell comforts to children she was sure she could please them End of chapter 14